you are listening to a production of the Toe Network. This is Laser Knees number 131, Biding His Time. I'm Aleph. And I'm Sono, and this is Machine Sentai Kira Major, episode 41, As You Once Were, and 42, Battles Without Honor and Humanity. <laughs> By the way, I still love that that's what they titled the episode. <laughs> Just naming it after they, an iconic series of gangster films. That's amazing. Our writer for 41 was Yokote Michiko, and for 42 was Shida Ayumi. Our director for 41 was Hayama Koichiro, and for 42 was Watanabe Katsuya. Wow, I have to say, I had sort of thought 41 was uh, someone a bit more in the regular rotation of directors. Yeah, no. I mean, they did some <laughs> really cool stuff. Yeah, exactly. That's why I thought... Oh, okay. Is this someone we know? And I, I don't. I'm pretty sure we've like we've you, we've heard the name before, but it's just it's been a minute. Yeah, I I think they've maybe done one or two others on Kira Major, but I think they're a fairly new director. Yeah. Well, they've got a bright future ahead of them because wow, they really made the one where everyone is a cat sing. Yeah. Well, not everyone, but you know half. But yeah. Anyway, and not like sing like a cat sings. You know, caterwauling or is it cattywampus? I think it's caterwauling. When just cats go out and they just yowl yeah, at that's, each other. Yeah, that's uh, caterwauling. Yeah. Cattywampus is something else entirely. Anyway, uh, before I just fall into a thing where I start Googling etymo- definitions and etymologies, uh, let's just get into the bad stuff in these episodes, because, like, there's not a ton. Okay, fart joke was unnecessary. I don't have anything more to say about it than that. I'm just not here for fart jokes. Ghostsager was the only one that's pulled it off. And I don't even remember that one myself, so good. But, you know, it's the thing where, like, look, I think we all understand that, yes, the youth might enjoy them, because at a certain age, just the existence of of bodily functions is bizarre and hilarious. And as you get older, it just becomes bizarre. But honestly, it just, it fell beneath everyone involved. Um, okay, so this isn't necessarily a bad thing, it's just something that happened and made me want to give a warning to people. You know, there's there's the bit where Cat Senna and Cat Sayo like get aggressive and start fighting and Mabushina tries to separate them um, and they attacked her. Which is why you do not try to physically get between two cats who are fighting. Do not do it. Cat scratches and especially cat bites can be very very nasty and get infected very easily. Like Usually, from a safe distance, you can just shout or make some kind of loud noise, and that will often startle them into breaking up, and I find that to be the safest way. Um, if it's indoor cats and you've got a clean spray bottle, you can put some water in it, and that'll startle them into breaking up, but do not put physically put yourself between them. It is very, very dangerous. Yeah, like, they will absolutely turn your entire everything into poisoned hamburger. Watch out for yourselves. Don't get in the middle of cats. Yeah, it's just, it's not safe. I'm gonna be talking a lot about cats this episode. It's one of the few things I know a lot about. Well, and like, we both have cats. We both like cats. Cats are great. Anyway, just like, yeah, we're gonna talk a lot about cats. They're wonderful. Um, I, I was very bummed that when Juru kind of snapped the girls out of the cat trance and everyone transformed, uh, Juru and the girls did not have cat ears on the helmets since they were still doing the cat thing. Right? Like, they have the cat ears and they're right there. Like, I'm 
look, I'm happy to pretend that it's just because they don't have a glue strong enough to keep the cat ears on the helmets during the action without, like, messing up the paint or something. But still, they should have found a way. I don't know. Akashi fought in that stupid hat in 2006, so as far as I'm concerned, they have no excuse. Like, that was 2006. It's 2021. They can figure it out. Is that the- was that the lucky hat? Yeah, good, good luck mode yeah, whole... was too good for us. We did not deserve it. That's very true. Um, and I mean, like, we did have the very, like, catified roll call, but having the ears on the helmets would have been cute and kind of driven home that they're still partially under this transformation, even if they can yeah. kind of think clearly again. Yeah, it would have- it would have really helped- okay, everyone sold it. The- the- Look, the suit actors are professionals, they're great at getting this stuff over. Still, cat ears would have made it just made it that much better. Um, only problem with 42 is I did not like Garza punching Yodona in the face to knock her out. Just didn't like it. Felt bad. I know they had to make it so she couldn't stop him from killing Yodon or like get in the way of that. But honestly, like, I don't know, make that part of the effect of the bomb or give him some kind of attack that ties her up. Have him steal her whip and tie her up with her own weapon. That's, like, the most Sentai thing he could do. Having him just punch her in the face felt really bad. Yeah, no, I'm I'm with you. Because, again, even as we say, like, look, Garza is the worst, which, yeah, I mean, no matter what happens in these episodes, he still sucks real bad. But, like... He's a super villain. He's not gonna just punch someone in the face. Have him, like, tie her up. Honestly, like, even if he brought his weapon to bear, that would at least feel a little more like he's taking her seriously. Because he's a sword guy. He doesn't punch people. Yeah, it just, it felt bad. Yeah, no, it's, I can definitely understand that. But, uh, I guess moving out of the, the stuff we didn't like, because, I mean... 42 is a rock solid episode. <laughs> um, let's let's get into the good stuff because there's a as ever with this series, there's a lot more of it. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the cold open for 41 so open is for just 41 a is such just an a, interesting such an setup interesting to, this setup to this episode. Because it's been a while it's since they've really since leaned they into how weird and artsy Crunchula is, and I don't think and we've don't touched at all on how Yodona would, by her inherent by practicality. Her practicality find the nuances of his work to be frustrating. Which, yeah, understandable. Have you ever talked with an artist when they get just any kind of craftsperson, any kind of creative person, when they get into the fiddly weeds of what they do? We're insufferable! It's true. true. Ask me about keyframes. Oh, yeah. Like, ask... Yeah, I... A friend of mine was... Was did me an immense compliment and asked me to look over their uh, a comic script they were working on and it took me like four days to put together all of the things because I'm like okay it's not even that it was bad it was just like okay here are thoughts page by page here are some things I like to consider like a big thing for anyone out there writing comic scripts put your big reveals on even numbered pages that way when it is put into a physical form, the big reveal happens on a page turn. Yeah. And that makes every page turn that much more of a wham! Yeah, like, like you gotta think about, gotta that, think stuff. about that stuff. Yeah, and like, it's not that they weren't, it's... Well, actually, they, they weren't. They said, like, hey, I hadn't even thought about that, but it's... 
they still had a good flow. But it's like, hey, here's something that might help you. Like, that's the sort of fiddly stuff you get when you come to a creative and be like, hey, you're interested in this thing. You know this thing. Talk to me about it. Or if you if you yourself are not interested and you're like, hey, I want it to be like this. All right, but we have to do X, Y, Z. No, just do the thing. No, there's no just do the thing. It's garbage then. Yeah. Like, yeah. it just, it all really it touches all really nicely on the idea of Crunchula, not just Crunchula being an artist, being but a working artist, artist working who is <laughs> providing work for someone else to use, and how being on someone else's payroll doesn't always give you the leeway to have a creative slump. You'll just be told, well, do it. Yeah, because the, the paymasters, they... Like, first off, they're paying you, so, like, that's how capitalism works. You exchange value for value. But also, they tend not to understand that it's not a spigot. Like, you can't just turn on the faucet. Which is, yo, it is a rough life out there for professionally paid creatives. A rough life, I dare say, like, I wouldn't say no to. Because, I mean, regular paycheck, hooray. But still, rough. But also, like... Hell yeah, Crunchula. <laughs> like, or, or really honestly, uh, hell yeah, Yokote Michiko, because I've been wanting someone to talk about old Crunchers as an artist this whole time. I wanted that to be his thing. And, like, you know, we didn't do it throughout as much as I would have liked for a lot of reasons, but I just, I'm happy that we get it here as the pedal hits the metal. But then, like, Garza's reaction to that whole thing was really interesting, because for a second, he seems really worried, which is kind of unlike him, since when does he care about other people? But then he's, like, very ominous about it, and it's clear that the wheels are turning, which is actually very like him. And it's some very cool foreshadowing of how Crunchula plays into the, his plans that unfold in episode 42. Yeah, and, like, honestly, even without knowing what happens in 42... It made that, that little mid-credits bit that they do, where he fishes Crunchula out of the drink, it just made that feel so much more earned when I went back and watched it again. It's like, oh, we're setting that up. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Garza can see which way is the wind's blowing. Good on you, dude. I mean, maybe not good on you. Well, yeah, good, because he's... It's, you know, it's not actually that complicated. Um, I'm just very fond of Garza, and I like when he wins against people who aren't our heroes. But I also really love the shot of Crunchula just, like, worn out on the steps with the Marskman's, like, glowing eyes in the distance as he's silhouetted in the the light from the doorway. Like, it's such a great mix of really ominous, but also just showing how desperate and tired Crunchula is at this point, that he's just like, yeah, I'm sure this is fine, I'm gonna tell myself this is good, and that's what we're gonna go with. Yeah, this is my masterwork, I guess. It's what I could come up with. Go. But I really appreciate also that, like, you don't know it's just going to be Maneki Neko Cat. <laughs> it's, like, it. with the big scary eyes. It's like, ooh, what is this big sinister thing? And then just, it's it's just the Maneki Neko. I mean, but also, like, I just, I did feel bad for him in that moment. Because, sure, yes, he can go straight to heck for all the times he's absolutely murdered people or caused them to be murder but like honestly that's worse but still you you feel for him in those moments because 
he's just he's just a sad art boy, and I totally get that. Um, and I really do love that when we switch over to the Kira Majors, it's this conversation about doing the creative thing that you do as like work creativity, and to just sometimes cut loose and do it for fun with no like work restrictions, just to let yourself recharge and enjoy doing it as a fun thing. Because um, as a person who does creative things as work, it's nice to sometimes just let me let myself draw something silly and self-indulgent or start playing whimsically with effects and filters and keyframes um, in in editing software. Like it, it's sometimes just it's fun sometimes to do that. Fun to do that. Yeah, just noodle around, see, just get an idea in your head. Hey, I I wonder if I can do this sort of thing, and then. Yeah, sometimes they do, and it's great. Yeah. You, you can manage it. Um, and it, it, really, it really, like, hit me when Tametomo mentioned pro players getting high scores while they were just kind of messing around because they're relaxed. Because um, I watch speedrunning uh, as kind of the thing I do to unwind. And I've seen runners, like, get world records on runs where they thought they had messed up. Just because they let themselves relax and weren't paying as close attention to the timer, that they were able to make up the time in other parts of the run without even realizing it. And, you know, like, playing and experimenting and doing the thing for fun really helps with not getting stuck in a narrow box of what you're capable of and then burning out because you're just doing the same thing over and over. Like, even Sayo says she has days like that, and I don't know how you do a relaxing or fun form of surgery, but maybe in her case she just kind of steps away from her doctor brain and reads or does Aikido or indulges in some other hobby. Oh, I mean, that's why she's got that band. Yeah. And it's it's just that thing where, like, beyond stretching your limits, both rest and play are integral to just, like, life they're most noticeable as part of creative endeavors but in any sort of line of work or way of being if you don't take breaks and don't have time for joy no matter what work you do that work will destroy you um i saw an interesting thread uh, not long ago uh by game designer avery alder uh, and she's talking about how she uses the the oft-touted pomodoro method wherein one works straight on with a timer for 25 minutes and then you take a five minute break after the, the buzzer goes off and and then you resume work it's a good way to keep your productivity up keep your focus going and also to sort of keep your work-life balance in in a better spot and she highlighted that the most important part of that is that when you take your five minute break it's actually a break so for instance if you're working on the computer it means you physically step away from the computer and do something unrelated to it for the duration of the break, just to give your brain time to relax and reset and all that stuff. And it's just, it's a very important thing to me. And I know we're all brainwashed into trying to produce, produce, produce all the time, but like seriously, I'll take a break. If you're listening to this while doing some sort of work, like, step away for a sec. Take a breather. Pause the show. We'll be here when you get back. Just be, you know, since societal care is not a thing that a lot of societies in which we live, like, do, 
and they all fob it off as self-care. And hey, the thing about self-care is no one in power has to do anything because it's one more freaking thing that's on your shoulders. Just, you know, if, if, if self-care is all we got, make sure you do it if you can. We'll be here. <laughs> anyway. Uh, okay, so, Let's move so on, on before a much that gets less depressing. Philosophical note. I noticed that the cups that they have and also had back in the Wire Marsk episode are carrot branded. Like, it's kind of subtle, but if you look, they have a cityscape on them, and then in the cityscape, there's the carrot tower. And I just thought that was very cute and, like, a nice detail to add. And, like, they didn't have to go that far, but they did. I'm glad they did, because I, I didn't catch that, but. I'm glad that's what's going on. Like, it's it stood out to me because I'm like, why are all of their cups the same? Because mm. I'm like, these are, like, they have designs on them. Why do they all have the same cup? And then I'm like, oh, the tower is on them. They're getting these from, like, the call is coming from inside the house. They aren't, yeah, this, this isn't is from, stuff that they've brought or that they ordered yeah, this, in from somewhere. Yeah, this is all just stuff from the, uh, was it? from like the the workplace commissary it's from the break room there we go that's the okay so on some level lucky cat marsk's plan is not entirely off the mark because the things he says about cats are in fact true but like i feel like he's underestimating his own species a bit because if a cat wants to get a thing done it'll get done yeah no word to lie there <laughs> Like, let me tell you, we have to block cabinets with 20-pound boxes of cat litter and duct tape plastic containers closed so our cats don't break in and eat all of the cat food at one time. Because they will. And now Chase has figured out how to open our storm door, so we have to lock that if we want to have the front door open to let some sun or fresh air in. So he won't just open the door and leave. And oh, cats. <laughs> Because he just wants to go smell the smells outside. Well, yeah, the, everything outside smells so much more interesting. And I don't know, maybe... I don't know, maybe... I don't know, because, like, Juru still is able, as a cat, to fixate and focus and accomplish a thing he wants to accomplish. It's just that as a cat, his goals are kind of different. So, I don't know, maybe it's this thing where Yokote is taking preconceptions about cats and trying to show that they're kind of more nuanced than that if you pay attention and are nice to them. I mean, it's... that's the thing about cats. Like, cats only seem lazy and destructive and aloof if you try to treat them like dogs. And one of the defining things that Old Deuteronomy says about cats in Cats, uh, look, I, I've seen... I haven't really seen the show, but I've seen plenty about the show, is that a cat is not a dog. Like, they, they don't take the training the same way. They're not as desperate for your attention in the same way. They don't behave the same way, but dang if they don't learn to communicate you as best they're able. Yeah, and I mean, like, you even can train cats. My cats will do tricks. Uh, we, we get them to high-five, uh, and they spin, and they're leash trained. Oh, nice. But you gotta meet them on their level. Like, they don't take things in like dogs, they won't respond to things like dogs, and like, look, Italian and Spanish Italian both come Spanish. out of Latin, but you cannot mm. speak Italian to someone from Spain and expect them to understand you perfectly. Yeah, no, that's, that's, honestly, like, Swedish and Norwegian are close enough that everyone jokes that they're basically dialects. I cannot understand 
people from doing Norwegian. Like it just the the flow is different. It's it's the same like you said. It's the same same root, different result. But like even when it's absurdly frustrating the way that cats try to communicate with you to to get your attention, um they always find the way to do it that works best. But hey, like sometimes that means that, that they're going to shove things off your desk. Why? Because it works. So, like, are they dumb and lazy and destructive? Or am I dumb for not listening to him before he gets to knock stuff off my desk? Because, let me tell you, my cat has definitely learned that sort of thing, because when he starts knocking stuff off my desk, he gets what he wants. Oh, yeah. When Chase wants attention, he will go into the kitchen, and our cabinet doors... um, they sit on the face of the cabinet, so they're not, like, inset. Like, they're not set into the frame, they're kind of on top of it. And he'll just start banging the cabinet door. Because he knows that it annoys my mother. Yep. And that's how he gets her to pay attention. And it's it's not like she even isn't paying attention. It's just he's in a different room and wants attention paid to him in that room. And not... In the room where she is. My my cat will just like if there is a piece of paper lying around, he'll 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 stand on it, with with three of his feet, and he'll take the other one and just like pull at the edge of of the other part, and it just it makes this whip 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 sound because, hey, what's up? I want something. <laughs> you you think you're paying attention to something else? You think I'll just go away? Do you not know me, dude? This is, cats are great. This is what living with cats is like. Look, it. but the thing is, like, a lot of people say, treat it like it's malicious, and it's not malicious. It's just, they have different priorities, and also they need to communicate things because they can't understand human language. They don't really get our body language, even. Like, we are very alien things, and they are trying to find the best blunt force ways to communicate with us, and that's, honestly, when you stop to think about it, is brilliant. That's amazing. So I feel like this is a thing that would normally go in the negatives, but it was just such a one-off joke and not, like, a thing that I actually found it really funny that for a second, like, when Sayo first becomes a cat and is looking for attention, is like, oh no, this has awakened something in me. He's just like, oh dear, I have learned a thing about myself today. And I think it helps that it wasn't, I mean, it was Shiguru, but it wasn't his actor. It was still the suit actor in the Kirame Blue suit. So he got to kind of retain some dignity by not having to have the face actor make a weird face about it. I feel like that really helps. Because um, it, it's a moment that could have really been off-putting if it was even a little bit different. But the way it was handled as kind of just a singular one-liner of a moment, and then we moved on, really kind of gave it that little comedic hit that they wanted instead of dragging it out and making it weird and gross like many of the, the uh, in, in Lupot with his name yeah. is escaping me, Patren Sango. Oh. Yeah, the, you know, the dude who sucks real bad. I keep wanting to say Sayaka, and I'm like, that's not his name. 
no, that's, no. That's, see, a that's a girl's name. Okay, so let's see. There's K. So that's Keichiro. Then so, he's the Sakuya. 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 There you there, go. It's very close. I was close. I was close. Yeah. He always took the joke. He always added like two more seconds to the joke that needed to be there, and it made everything uncomfortable. Where yeah. Shiguru was just allowed to have this kind of weird moment, and it was allowed to just be funny because we immediately moved on. And I mean, look, it's also it's an extra bit of fun because, as Arakawa's own Akiba Ranger illustrated upon multiple occasions, Sentai awakening something in someone is a pretty maybe not universal, but it's a pretty common thing. And since, again, like you were saying, he, we don't see him pull some kind of face with it, and we don't linger on the joke, it gets to be even more hilarious. Particularly for the parents, who may or may not have got out of their childhood sentai-watching years more or less unscathed. Not entirely unscathed, because, like, look, here's the thing about sentai. No one gets out of sentai without having something just stir like, I'm not even saying it's always going to be a weird monster thing, but, like, it could be a costume or just, like, hey, when that dude takes his shirt off. For instance, the, the Tokyo Returns movie, when there's a tank top shadow. Oh, my and, God. And, like, oh, yeah, that oh that dude's just been all over Akira's chest this whole time. And everyone is just like, uh-huh. <laughs> I am I know a lot of people who would, who would commit some real crimes Hi. for that because hi. hi yeah exactly because like i mean akira with his shirt off like um <laughs> look i spent a lot of tokyo you're being like man those shoulders though yeah yeah not not to or, get like, too you weird know, about it but look you ain't wrong <laughs> is the thing like i like i was thinking as far back as like like i know it's there's other examples before but like Jetman. Like, I'm sorry, like, if you have ever had a thing for the bad boy, uh, Black Condor of Jetman is, like, he's gonna wing in something, and you know, I'm sorry, it's just gonna happen. Yeah, I mean, I think back to, like, Die Ranger. Because, I mean, look, a lot of love goes to the many incredibly attractive face-acted villainesses, and their costumes of, of varying degrees of just like, wow, someone was horny when they designed this. But And like, look, that love is not undeserved, but again, there are some dudes in Sentai who will definitely awaken something in a body too. It's just, like, there's just a lot of really attractive people in Sentai. And anyway, let's move on before this gets weird. Uh, so this I've probably already made it weird. This is a thing that was possibly that was not, possibly intended, not intended, but I feel like... But I feel I like that Juru like and Senna and Sayo are all very different cats. You know, I don't really thought about it, but yeah, good call. Go on, yeah. Like, Juru's a kid. He's obviously acting like a kitten. He runs and he rolls and he jumps. He play fights and recoils and then comes back in for more because play is how kittens learn to be cats. And if you watch when they, when they all first change, how he's acting with Takamichi, that's how a kitten plays. Where Senna's a little older, and she's kind of more cautious, and but she's still very energetic, but is kind of, interaction is on my terms. Uh, I decide if you get to interact with me. 
Um, where Sayo is, you know, she's the oldest, and she's kind of mellowed out, and she's still capable of moving fast and being energetic, but she's just here to vibe. She's just chillin'. She'll play when she wants, which we see as the episode goes on, but you know, right now, just kind of wants a nap, and I feel that. Yeah, no, I was just about to say. <laughs> um, and I'm, I'm just glad that they didn't have all three of them acting kind of exactly the same, because uh, I've had a lot of cats over the course of my life. And no two of them have been even remotely similar. Cats have their own personalities. They're, and, you know, it's not just cats. I'm sure someone with a dog is like, knows all of the nuances of their dog compared to someone else's dog. I, I know bird owners are a lot like that. But, you know, this episode is about cats, and I know about cats, and I've had a lot of cats, and... They have these very big, very different personalities, and it was cool to see that reflected in the way that each character took to being a cat. Yeah, I, again, I don't really even really thought about it, but yeah, you're absolutely right. And hats off to everyone involved for bringing that difference in without honestly even making a big show of it. Like, it's there. Like, just stopping and thinking back to it. It's there, but... Just, again, hats off. Like, it's impressive. I, I feel like it's gotta be a thing where be a thing either uh, Yokote or the director, possibly both, maybe has cats or had cats growing up, and just kind of knows cats, and also has seen how people who don't have cats just kind of don't understand them. And... Like, they kind of play with that a lot in this episode, while also depicting cats as very nuanced. And I'm gonna try not to, like, spend this entire podcast lecturing about cats, but I know things about cats. I mean, cats are great. And, pe- like, look, here's the thing. A lot of people give a lot of guff unfairly to cats. Yeah. So. Because, like, when they get back to carrots, Shigeru's like, man, cats sure do go from aggressive to clingy at random. I'm like, no, they don't. And Tommy no. agrees, and is like, you never know what they're thinking, and I'm like, you do if you watch them. And, like, no wonder Tommy admits to not being good with cats if that's how he's gonna approach them. Because, I mean, if you want to understand cat behavior, it's very easy. Just watch them for a while. It's really not hard to figure out. But even Takamichi, who, like, clearly likes cats, but has definitely never owned one, he's just like, oh, yeah, if you give them food, they'll like you. And, like, I don't know, he oversimplifies it by just kind of believing broad-stroke stereotypes about cats. Which is just... I mean, it's understandable. At least at least with his broad-stroke stereotyping, he doesn't seem to be quite as... I don't know, quite as uh, dismissive. Yeah, them, it's... I guess. Like, it's just... It's very... It's very interesting, because it's all stuff that I've heard people who don't have cats say about cats. And I'm like... None of those things are true. If you have ever spent an extended period of time with a cat. Okay, but we've we've spent a lot of time on this podcast over the course of Kira Major talking about Crunchula and Drew as these sort of creative foils. And this far into the show, I didn't actually expect that to ever become a plot point. But 
it was really cool to see Crunchula kind of find a kindred spirit and be able to admire the creative work that Juru put into all the robot designs and weapon designs, even if they're kind of what has been foiling his plans and getting him kicked out of his job for the past year. Yeah, I honestly, that bit was just so good. Honestly, it was great just seeing the, uh, uh, one of those we're not so different you and I moments, except it's not played as so be a bad guy. Instead, it's just, oh man, this is we're, we aren't so different. Huh, how about that? Just just the sudden appreciation of their sameness, and I don't know, just something akin to the realization that in another life they could have been friends. And I I just kind of hope that before the end, Crunchle gets a chance to have a friend, because. I don't know. Seems like he could use one. Like, I was gonna say Garza came close, but... Man, I don't know if 42 is exactly what I'd call friendship, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's not not friendship. Yeah, I mean, they aren't enemies. And, like, good, because I don't think... I don't think it's good to have Garza as an enemy. Yeah, I mean, of all of the people that Garza messed stuff up for in 42, Crunchula might have been the only one he didn't. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, for Garza, that's something. Yeah. He hasn't, he has not found a reason to betray him yet. And, like, I feel like that yet is doing a lot of just, like, the yet is the, is the, the Maneki Neko mask in the back, just with the big glowing eyes, and you can't tell what it is yet. Um, I do like that being a cat did not inherently change who Juru is. Um, because again, I've had many cats, and I've also had a lot of pain, and I can assure you that no actual cat responds to stepping in paint when this is very exciting, I want to step in more paint, and make something pretty happen. Um, but Juru isn't an actual cat, he's a human brain that has had its priorities shifted. So his creative process is now more wild and abstract and imprecise, but he is still driven to create. And seeing Crunchula lean into that and have this borderline redemptive interaction with Juru where he can let go of having to create for work and just freely have fun making art and making art with another person was really sweet. Like, Crunchula was not a character that I expected them to try to redeem, so that was kind of nice. Yeah, it really was. And also, like, kind, like, not terribly surprising, given that he is a villain who's made by a bunch of creative sorts and expresses a lot of uh, artistic foibles. So they, they get to lampoon themselves. But also, yeah, when they lampoon themselves, that adds that extra layer of humanity to him. And I don't know, that's got to be a thing that makes him want to give him a face turn. Yeah. If only because, like, hey guys, I know that we're that we're all absolute monsters in our own way, but we're not all bad, are we? I also like that Garza kind of is watching this happen and is like, I wonder if it's because that one-fifth of him got killed. And that maybe, like, I don't know, that was the part of him that was into what Jotunheim was doing. That's still in the rest of him a little bit, because it's so big of a part of who he is. But, like... It's not, it's not like it was. Ever since that happened, he's just been like, but I want to do cool art stuff 
instead of destruction. I mean, it also kind of does a little retroactive work of making us wonder how Senna would have changed if Sayo hadn't been able to bring Senna 5 back. How would that have worked out long term? Yeah, like, I think long term that would have been... Like, I think it would have been okay, but boy, it would have taken some adjusting, because she... I appreciate that they actually kind of made her scary in a way. Yeah. Because it, it's that whole, like, oh no, cool, don't worry... I'm I'm gonna do the thing. I'm great. I can do no wrong. Uh, but you almost killed those people. Well, I didn't though. And like, I didn't though. It's not a response you want to hear, man. <laughs> but yeah, it it does make me wonder though. Like, what parts of Garza did get got? Cause yeah, it's it's like you said. It's clearly the the parts of him that care about Jotunheim. But I'm just like. Man, that was the part of him that created evil DJ Marsk for the Christmas rap battle. So, like, I think along with Jotunheimness, it also took the parts of him that were just plain best at being a supervillain. Because, like, at first I was going to say, ah, it probably took his sadism, but, like, dude rode the, on the head of his monster into battle with a giant robot. That is some high supervillain drama. Yeah. Like, I, I really feel like it's just gotta be the part of him that really gave any sort of a dang about Yodon and the Empire and making all of that happen. Because since then, he's just been like, nah, no thanks. I'm kind of done. Which, you know, like, good. We should all have the parts of us that are interested in being a part of Empire excised from us and then exploded to death. Because uh, taking part in Empire is no, it's no way to be. And who boy, as much as I love Yodona, which I do, I kind of recoiled in horror when she came in, told Crunchula that the heart of his work doesn't matter as long as the work he produces gets the job done. Because who boy, that was a punch to the guts. Yeah, no kidding. Just, just the the whole attitude of it. Like, hey, I fixed your thing, and just it wasn't broken, dude! Look, Yodona is awful, and I love her, but yo, that was mean. Yeah. yeah. And true to form, like, I kind of doubt she understands how mean it was, because, like, why why should she care? Um, like, thankfully most of the true creative jobs that I've held haven't gotten to that extent, uh, because I've never been part of the creative department of a non-creative entity. Um, but a few of the freelance jobs I've taken have felt this way, and man, it's just, it's not good. It's not fun. Yeah, I, I can only imagine. Condolences. I'm, like, I, I want to say I'm glad you're not in that situation now, but I imagine that situation probably involved a bit more money, so, um... Um, not really. A lot of it has oh, okay. been, you know, commission work. Well, that works then. But, uh, just, I don't know, getting a good result of any visually based thing, even something like a logo or just a catalog page, getting it to look not terrible takes creative thinking and process. Like, design doesn't just happen. But, you know, someone who doesn't have that creative brain space doesn't realize all of the thought and drafting that goes into the presentation of a final product. And, like, that's no drag on the people who don't have the creative brain space. We're, we all do different things, and not everyone needs that very fluid, malleable thought pattern. 
there are things that are more conducive to kind of linear, logical, one piece of information leading to another sorts of thinking, and that's really useful in many situations. Like, you know, being a doctor. Doctors are great. They're very important. And I'm, you know, there are doctors... Doctors do need some level of creative thinking, but it's it's very different. It's a different part of the brain. And often you kind of need a combination of both, and you really can't shut one out. And you can't think that one of them is easy and requires no work just because you, like, you see A to D and don't see points B and C in the middle and just assume that they don't exist. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good way to get yourself in trouble with uh like okay um example from my own life writing essays like academic essays if you can't show the b and c like it's it's very difficult to follow your work i i habitually just sort of drop out the b and c and like it's like okay how how did you get here though i i like what you're saying i like the conclusions you're drawing but no one can follow your work here (laughs) and you need to be able to and to to go back to the artistic thing like okay i i cannot draw anything to anything like my own satisfaction like i like very few things i draw but also i don't have the mindset to to really practice at it and keep working to get better it's just it's not a thing i'm 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 built for at the moment but having at least having having at least having had Boy, that's a lot of... Having had that experience, anyway, is what I'm saying, of, of working at it and trying and not, not really face-planting, but just not getting anywhere near where I want to go, I know that when someone does a bit of artwork or, you know, fill in your creative undertaking as you will, and when someone does some art for you, you thank them with praise and money. Not or, and both. Yes. Because they are, like, they are doing you a service, helping you get the thing out of your head into some sort of actualized reality. And I don't know, I've, I've seen a lot of people behave as, that, as if that sort of thing is easy or, or cheap or just, like, you can just make it go. There's, there's a whole Twitter account uh, for Exposure, <laughs> and it just... Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, you've just, seen it. I might have just thrown up in my mouth a little. <laughs> yeah, but it's it just collects all of these people asking slash demanding really complicated creative work and offering no recompense and their their response when they're point when it's pointed out like look dude you're asking me to spend like at, you know hours and days and months of my life on this thing and you're offering me literally nothing. And they're just like, well, look, just do it. You like doing it. You do this for free anyway. Why not do it for me? And like, boy. <laughs> anyway. I'm going to not say words. I'm going to not say words and I'm going to talk about Kira Major. Yeah. We, you, you've been there, I take it. Oh, boy. Trying to find work as a video editor at livable rates is not fun. Oh, oh, no. But I'm not going to talk about we'll, that. We'll, I'm going to talk yeah, about Yeah, we'll talk major. about that off air. Yeah, we'll talk about good things here. 
Um, I, I love Takamichi bringing the cat toy with him because he was in such a rush that I don't think he realized he was still holding and gesturing with it. Honestly, that was so good. Just, just, he's making all this dramatic stuff and just like, oh, there's a little cat feather toy. And they're just like, meh, meh. It was, it was so cute. It really was. Also, I just love that, uh, they, that the way you knock Juru out of the cat trance is to do the, the cat trick of, like, clapping your, your hands, like, right in front of his face. Like, it was weird to see it, because mostly I know it as a move from that sumo episode of Zhuoger that was honestly one of the best episodes in Zhuoger. Yeah, weirdly. Yeah. And also, like, took a cool political stand, like, hey, let ladies do sumo. And that was just, like, respect. Yeah. But it is, it's just weird to see that it is apparently just a wider thing that you can just bring that into an episode of of kira major and just like okay everyone's gonna understand that this is the cat trick and that's what knocks you out of the the cat brain thing just yeah yeah it was it was really cool it did it did kind of bring me back to that and i'm like man remember that one time leo was not awful yeah, and it felt like he had a character, and oh, all of this, all of this, like, ugly, macho nonsense, oh, that comes from the fact that he's, you know, he's desperately trying to, to hold up this act, and you get the impression that, oh, his family kind of sucks, and that's why he's acting like this, because they all act like this, and he thinks that's what being a man is. Oh, that's, man, that's suddenly his nuance. Also, Narya and, um, I don't know, the, the cube guy? I forget his name. I don't think we ever knew his name. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, Nari and the cube guy just hanging out, watching the match, having some having some sake together. That was great. That was great. Like, I wish they just could have hung out more. I wish everyone could have just hung out more in that show. Yeah, I just... Man, that show could have been so much better. Yeah, it, it's a shame, because it had a great cast. It really did. Like, the cast was not the problem. I don't know what the problem was, because, like, everyone involved is good. I think it was just pieces didn't come together. It was just a lot of good pieces from different puzzles. Yeah, and you know, sometimes, sometimes a work is less than the sum of its parts, and that was one of them. Though I have to say, I enjoy, like, that one time in one of the, the, uh, Sentai crossover movies, just Masao came in. Oh, and everyone's just like, in, "Who's this guy?" It was it was Lupot versus Ryu Soldier, and it's like the big yeah. final battle, and he just runs in, and everyone's like, "Sir, who's this guy?" Sir, and I too hey, don't was worry like, about it. I'm "Here to help." Was like, "Honey, what are you doing here?" Like your show wasn't even the one right before this. Yeah, are you okay? I like. I just think that they had the like the actor just was walking by and he's like and they're just like hey dude you, you want to be in this fight I, am I in, even in the script it's cool we'll just we'll we'll ad lib you in don't worry about it all right it was so good it was so weird and then he just leaves and then he just leaves he's... and everyone's like I wonder what that was about <laughs> um, but back to Kira Major. Yeah, sorry. Juru yeah. running in to knock back Yodona's whip barehanded, like out of suit, was so cool. 
yeah, you ain't even ro- close to wrong. That was a moment to just like, you know, put up your hand and shout, just like Rah! that ruled. Like it, it immediately brought me back to when Alita did that with the final boss in Gosager, even though here it is treated kind of with much less gravity because Juru's a cat. Um, and with Alita, it was the final boss. Um, yeah. Still, like, it brought me back to that moment, and even with Drew in this very feral state, he was able to focus himself on using that aggression to protect someone he liked instead of just destroying things. Like, all of his power and anger and fury were forced to the surface in order to be used for evil, and he still managed to rein it in and use it for good. And that's what makes a red baby. Never forget it. Never forget it. Hell yeah, dude. Cause like, red's not about power. Red isn't about hoarding the upgrades or being the main character. Red is about that combination of ins- of being inspiring to others, while also adhering to the common writer mantra of "Do no harm, take no guff." It's a, it's a very specific thing that makes a good red. And I love but, uh, that he's immediately rewarded for it. Like, Crunchula rewards him immediately. He chooses this kindred spirit and the freedom to create over his corporate fascist overlords. Even though it's very clear that Yodona and Yodon himself aren't gonna let him walk away from that. Yeah, no. But it it does inspire him to just have that great. I'm sorry, go on. And I it's just... just, I love that when she then confronts him with like, hey, buddy, you're committing treason. He's like, yeah, but you took out the part of me that cares more about you than me. Like, his pride is no longer in creating for Emperor Yodon. It's just in creating, and I'm proud of him. Yeah, it's it was honestly a really beautiful scene. Because, like, look, I was, I was not uncertain that he was going to die there. I, I was hoping he wouldn't, but, I mean, he, he looked like he got got pretty hard. Yeah. But it's just a thing yeah. of, when you when you get dropped in the water, that's always kind of iffy as far as tokusatsu deaths go. More often than not, it means you live, because there's no corpse. But sometimes, it, it's not a certainty. It's it's a nice bit of, of just like, oh no. But just still, like, even if that was how he went out... Going out, taking a stand, uh, just asserting his own personhood and the fact that his heart matters and it should be used for more than what this guy thinks it's for. Man, that was that's a boss way to go out. Yeah. And I really thought this was going to be one of the very few times that we'd see a redeemed villain not make it out alive. There aren't a lot of those. Usually when they redeem a villain, they're allowed to escape and ride off into the sunset. Even, uh, what's her name? Inryu Soldier got to leave with Weisel and Koreon. Oh yeah, um, Precious. Yeah, Precious. She wasn't even redeemed. No. She just had, like, wow, um, I don't want to be the big evil person again. Can we not do that? And I was like, yeah, okay, we'll just, it's fine. Like, honestly. Remember when we were like, I bet Weisel's gonna come back, and then he came back and it ruled? Yeah. Yeah. God, what a good time. 
But like the only time I can think of where the redeemed villains didn't get to walk out of the show alive was Goanger. And that literally didn't stop them from being alive after Goanger was over. Yeah, I mean They die real bad in Goanger. It's it's rough. It's really sad. And then you get no, to the crossover when she with Shinkendra and it's just like, no, these villains were really popular. We we have found yeah. an excuse to bring them back. And then even in Goanger ten years after, because um when they show up in Gokaiger, they're still ghosts. I think they've still got the yep. little ghost headbands. They do. And then in ten years after, they're just like, eh, we're machines, we just rebuilt each other, it's fine. It's fine, don't worry about it. Don't think about it too hard. It's fine. Hey, look, a kitty. Meow. <laughs> don't don't think about that. Look at the kitty. It's fine. Don't. This movie's weird. This isn't even the weirdest thing going on in this movie. Don't worry about it. But, like, I really thought that this was maybe going to be the one time where that death stuck. You know, because, I mean, like, he got, he got messed up. Yeah, it was, it was unpleasant. <laughs> mm. Though, I, I do have to say, I appreciate that the manner of his death did show how important he was to the Empire, because, like, the Emperor showed up to take care of that stuff personally. Yeah. Honestly, like, Crunchula deserves nothing less. He's been an integ- like, I'm not- like, he's not even an integral part of their invasion force. He has been the invasion force. He just also, like, Garza rolled up, and then eventually the Emperor just came in with his secretary. But, like, he's been the one doing all of it. Yeah. So, like, yeah, he deserves to, you know, he deserves the personal touch. I have to say, like, sure, Yodan is clearly the bad guy until next episode. But at least he shows up and, and has some class about it. Like, hey, you're my underling. You do realize that if you if you do this, I have to kill you, right? Yeah, but this is, this is how I want to go out. All right. Murder. I mean, then we see in 42 that he 42 somehow managed somehow to survive the survive multiple spearings by Yodon, but, you know, whatever. And then goes on again, to help again, Garza don't, with his double cross, and he still wants to doom the Earth, so I'm not sure if they're really redeeming him, but I don't know, maybe they'll try. They'll figure it out. Look, it's fine. It, it, yeah, it's fine. I think that's just gonna be it. Like, don't worry about it, it's fine. Because, like, they, they could go a lot of ways... And I look forward to seeing the one they choose, because mostly I'm just hoping for a bit where he stands up in a second hopeless thing and has another version of that same speech that got him got this time, because I am always here for people just doing the whole, like, no, what's up? I am a person. I have a heart. You will respect my heart, or we aren't going to hang out. And, you know, sure, sometimes that means you get, you get, like, eight spears through you from a tremendous snake god squid demon devil monster. But, you know, it's, it's still way cool. If you gotta go out, that's a cool way to go. Yeah. I wouldn't, like, it, in my, in my finest days, in, I imagine that at my bravest I would go out like that. But honestly, I would probably go out, like, from getting poisoning from licking that dude's boot, because, yo, that emperor is real scary. Yeah, a little bit. 
Like, I would, I would probably just be one of, like, I wouldn't even get that far. I'd just be an under, I, I'd be a mudite. <laughs> That's what would happen to me. <laughs> I'd just be, like, one of those mooks who just gets got, and no one even cares. Um, I do love that the last shots of the fight the we see where, like, Takamichi is attacking from the right, and Juru's attacking the, like, Juru's attacking, uh... Monaki Neko from the the left and Takamichi's attacking the the cat food monster from the right, and then because Takamichi has to move forward to attack, they finish on the same side. That was a really cool bit of choreography. Yeah, it really was. Uh, again, like the, it was a surprise that Hayama Koichiro was the director here because I was expecting a name that I was a bit more familiar with because of how good that was. Though honestly, I, I appreciate that in a slightly different way, that excellent choreography carries on into 42 as well. Like, between these two episodes, this is some top-notch uh, choreography, direction, camera work, everything. They're pulling out all the stops to let you know, hey, what's up? We are in the, we're in the final stretch now. It is both time to play, because, you know, they're playing, but also, there is no more time to play, as in mess around. It's it's really good. But that takes us into 42. And I think and I, I want to talk about the big reveals in the episode and the questions that they bring up um, up front. Because even though they kind of bookend the episode, the way that it all comes together is really interesting and connected and has got me really curious as to what the endgame of this show is going to turn out to be. Because we are... Um, Pulling out some interesting things at the 11th hour. Yeah, they really are. Because, you know, we first come in on the Juru, like, having walking around the throne room and being confused. And he finds the little Crystallian kid drawing. And something in my brain was like, that doesn't look like Oridin. But I was like, maybe it's just because he doesn't have, like, the big, like, crown collar. Maybe that's what's throwing me off. Because he's a child. He's not going to be the king yet. Um... But I didn't, but I'm like, it just doesn't, it doesn't look like Oridin. And, but my brain never kind of made that logical leap as to who it actually was. And I think it was just like, oh, well, he doesn't have the, the crown and maybe the gold markings kind of change and move a little as they get older. Because, you know, people's faces change as they grow. Not like a ton, but no one is going to look exactly the same at like 5, 30, and 80. True that. So, like, of course, for Juru, it would make sense for him to believe this was Oridin. Usually, when he's in these dreams, he's hanging out with Oridin. And, you know, the kid is blue, and he says Kiramekin, and he's drawing, and he wants to protect Crystallia, and these are all things that have always been tied to Oridin. And, you know, he's hanging out with this kid, and then this big ominous shadow comes down the hall, and obviously Juru's brain jumps to Garza, even though he doesn't say it, but, you know, who else could it be? Yeah, I mean, that's... What else What else should you think? But in the who else could it be, that was when something struck me as, like, this isn't adding up, because Garza is the younger sibling. Why would he be bigger? But then the episode started, and I didn't really think about it more. So when at the end it's revealed that it was Garza's technique, and we see that the markings on that kid are the same as the ones on Garza, 
everything kind of clicked into place and I'm like, oh, this is actually a really cool reveal. Like you kind of caught me off guard with that one. But also it's one they played totally fair with. Yeah. Because like there's there's a bit midway through the episode that that just got me to that like, oh no. Mm -mm. It's I I know what bit you're talking about. And I'm like, I felt something. I'm like, what's going on here? And then it, it kind of slowly falls into place. And my only hesitation in this is that it implies that there was some kind of tipping point for Garza and that he wasn't always a giant trash lord, which is kind of a bummer. Yeah, it really is. And I mean, like, okay, at some point, it like, no kid just is like that. No kid is just a trash lord that way. Of course, it's always there's something. But it, it yeah, but feels I had like such that a whole thing on our turn. Yeah, and I had that whole thing in our last episode about like, hey, I appreciate that they're just aggressively saying, no, he's just a trash lord. He's just a garbage person. That's all. And like, hey, show, way to prove me wrong, you show. Ugh. But I, I think the thing like about jerk. it that like bums me out the most is the implication that it's very possible that Oridin was disparaging of Garza's creativity and somehow bullied Garza into being who he is now? Because that feels more than a little victim-blamey. Yeah. Especially with the degree that this show has lionized Oridin. Yeah, I mean, I I didn't quite get that implication, but I can really see how you could, and... Oh, well, I hope that's the thing not is, like, oh well, if it's if that's Garza, who will, who else would be coming down the hall? And like, we no, have yeah, no I mean, confirmation that that's what's going on. Um, it definitely feels like maybe that's what it was implying. Um, though it does explain why Garza has had this very subtle fondness for Crunchula and has now kind of shown him sympathy and given him a way back into what is essentially his home if he can help Garza get rid of Yodon. He's watched Yodon and Yodona use Crunchula's creativity to their own ends, bully him about it when it doesn't get them the results they want, and then throw him out when he stands up for himself. If I'm not totally off the mark, like... Garza has now watched his own trauma unfold a second time onto the closest thing to a friend it seems like he's ever had. So of course he'd want to reach out and be like, hey, you've already committed treason. Want to help me commit double treason? (laughs) (laughs) Well, except like at that point, it's no longer, once his plan goes in, comes to fruition, it's no longer treason. Yeah. Because He's he's a heroic revolutionary now. But, like, all that would be really lovely on the one hand, but, like, again, like, I'm really hoping it's not Oridan, who is the, the big scary shadow, because, like, I don't know who else it would be. Like, it's it's Emperor Yodon, or it's it's uh, Oridan and Garza's dad, and maybe it's something about cycles of toxic masculinity or something like that. And that's why Oridin's been willing to put up with his brother being such a tool, because he knows it's it's a thing of different people handling uh, bad parents differently. Uh, but still, like even that would be dangerously close to victim blaming, and I, I don't care for that. Yeah, either. see, I also like, thought, about I thought about their dad, their dad. Because, because, like, 
I, I really don't I want, really it want it to be as kind of basic as Oradin is just not the great guy they've built him up to be and that he bullied Garza into being the angry trash man because uh, that feels like such a weak and boring payoff to an entire show's worth of like some of the most interesting non-ranger characters we've had in years yeah that feels like such a waste and also like Garza was real small Oridan and Garza don't seem that far apart in age that Oridan would be that much bigger. No, yeah. And the shadow did kind of seem adult size. I don't know if it's one of those, like, playing with the size of shadows things. Or, or just like, hey, this is expressive of how he feels it looked. Yeah. Because at, at that point, even, even Oridan, who is probably about the same size could seem like a titan yeah but i did kind of also think like but what if it's like their dad because they've they've kind of established this thing where like the king is the creative person in crystallia so what if it was their dad and he was like no only the king gets to create things and that's going to be Oridin, so you're not allowed to draw and Garza has kind of projected his anger over that onto Oridin because that's who he's being compared to and his brain his brain as a child is like well if Oridin wasn't here I wouldn't be getting yelled at like this like I don't know I I'm not sure how I feel about that but it would at least be better than it being Oridin's direct actions that caused it because with the way Oridin is as a character it seems like he would have been very supportive of a kinder, gentler, more creative Garza and would have wanted to draw with him and create things with him because that's what he does with everyone else. He draws with Juru. He, like, hung out with the Phoenix dude. Like, the dude at the Phoenix Shrine. He hung out with Takamichi's dad running around in the woods. Like, he likes to do things with other people. He hung out with that random monk dude. Yeah. Like, he, he likes to see other perspectives on things. So I I can't imagine him, like, being down on Garza. Or, I don't know. It's... Okay. I'm gonna, I'm gonna propose a thing based upon my mother and her sister. Um, even though my mother is the older of the two of them. My... Their mother, my grandmother, is an artist. My aunt is an artist. Um and was very, very artistic from a young age. And when my mom would try to do artistic things, her sister would be like, no, you're doing it wrong. Let me show you how. And I, I'm wondering if maybe it's something like that. Yeah, I, I could see it. Um, Cause it's, I mean, you know, it, it was, it discouraged my mom from kind of doing creative things, which she's now I mean, kind of found yeah. her way back into um, through coloring books. She really likes coloring books. And my mom has a really good sense of color. She does some cool things. Oh, nice. She has done she has done some really cool stuff. Um but I'm wondering if maybe it's something like that. I I could absolutely see it cuz that would honestly if something was going to make you just into kind of a uh the demonic general of betrayal, it would be like, "Oh, okay. Everyone is just Everyone's out to get me? Alright, I'll get you first. Yeah, we're like, Oridan doesn't 
doesn't exactly realize how he's doing something wrong because he just wants to help but he doesn't realize that he's doing the opposite of helping because man the last thing anyone who is proud of a creative work wants is unsolicited criticism yeah like because you, you gotta go out for that criticism it's very important to to let people even if you think hey you're doing it wrong let them ask you hey am i doing this wrong it's yeah either way but like whatever ends up happening there there is a lot of room for some fascinating nuance yeah i just and, and i just hope it's more nuanced it's than or didn't bully garza about his drawings yeah that would really suck because like we could do some interesting stuff about about like hey where does pain come from and what does pain make you do because like look that's some that's some well-trod arakawa territory and this would be a new angle for him to pursue it from and it could be really good but also, like, it's hard to do that in a really nuanced way this close to the end of things, because I don't know how many episodes this show has left. Yeah. Because, like, we're at, we're at 42. It's somewhere and... between 3 and 5. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, personally, I'd love for this show to get the 52-episode treatment, but something tells me that ain't gonna happen. Yeah. Um, one thing I am thing also I am curious about curious is about how Garza went from being the same color as other Crystallians to being this kind of dark purple-black color and what exactly that means. Because, boy, do I not like the potential implications of Garza turned evil and that made his skin turn dark. Because <laughs> media does yeah. not exist in a vacuum. Yeah, I, mm, I really hope that's not where they go. Like, even, like, you could, you could probably get me on, oh, I dyed my, my stone darker because, uh, that's what fits what's in my soul. Because, like, look, I've been, an, I've been a goth boy. But at least at that point, it's not, oh, it just, he turned dark because he's so dark inside. Yeah, like, if, if it was a thing where he's like, I put out my own light. Yeah, exactly. I destroyed like, that's... the light inside myself. Like, okay. Yeah, okay, you're you're joining an emo band. Fine. Fine. You've dyed your exactly. hair black. You've, yeah, you've put exactly. on the black like, eyeliner. What, what, you know, because Crystallians, they don't have hair. I mean, they do, but some of them do, but it seems to be a very, like, dudes don't have hair. No, no, Oridan like, does. Even Garza did when he was younger. I think he may have, like, shaved it all off or something. Yeah, see? Well, there you go. Like, he shaved off his hair. He, he you know, he... he like dropped himself in some okay here's a fun thing i've learned from being a transformers nerd like some of them that have like translucent accessories if you drop them in like some like please read up on this don't destroy your stuff because like this is half remembered but like yeah you can just drop the translucent accessories into like warmed up water that has food coloring in it and you can change the color of the accessory you know, it's it's got to blend with the the previous color, but that's a thing people do. Like maybe that's just a thing he did, but I just I really don't want them to say, oh, he turned dark because he's bad inside. Because um, that would be a a really great way for him to face plant into some dog dirt 
this close to the finish line. Yeah. And I just, I do not want it's, them to do that. There, there are some there, potentially, there are some potential like, I just thought Garza was always that color and that maybe yeah. there are just different colors of Crystallians because there are different colors of Kirame stones. Those are all different yeah, colors. Not? Yeah, honestly, it's, you know, once, once that whole thing came into, I was like, oh yeah, it is weird that we never see any Crystallians who aren't blue. And I just thought, like, like maybe it was just, okay, and, we just uh, haven't seen a whole lot of them. They just exactly. don't have a lot of different helmets. Yeah. You know, which makes sense, because how many are they going to make? But, yeah, there's there's green ones, there's yellow ones, there's red, blue, like, every color of a Sentai, and then some. And there's just also some, some cool, like, you know, goth black ones, because why wouldn't there be? Yeah, like, because there, there are black gemstones. Black gemstones. And they're yeah. awesome looking. Gorgeous. Heck, not even some. The some aren't even gems. Just like, yo, obsidian is real pretty, y'all. Yeah. Also very sharp. Be careful when handling it, especially if it breaks. But even, but even if, we if we remove all of the meta context, of the meta context. Um, hmm. and just take it purely on a storytelling level, storytelling which is not how media is, media but is, let's but just yeah, let's that's... just pretend for a second. If Garza being this color is, like, the symbol of Garza not being good, why did Oridin spend so many years intent on keeping him in the palace? And wasn't he, like, literally head of the royal guard? I seem to recall that being a thing. Like, if nothing else, like, Oridin keeps trying to find ways to put him in power. Yeah, so it, it does kind of give me... Some hope that my narrative worry is a little unfounded, and that in spite of everything, Oridin really did want to believe in his brother and help support him and help him be the best version of the person that he has grown to be, and that Garza just keeps projecting his anger onto his brother, even though it was caused by someone else. Yeah, which, like, that would be very beautiful. Yeah, like, it's, it's a, it could be a neat narrative tool if it's not specifically he turned evil so now he's dark yeah his, which, his skin has physically skin turned has dark physically like please please yeah, yeah. I, like i'm not even saying that it's it's fixed if he dies it himself but at least it's not that because <laughs> like here's the thing like dear listener i'm sure you are aware but there have been some people in the real world who literally have thought that about like darker skinned people generally and um that's to say that that is a profoundly unhelpful line of thinking is to do a disservice the likes of which i like I, anyway i'm just saying it's real bad it's real messed up don't don't do that but also like to to get to the narrative itself again you know not divorcing it from that context but you know just the context is there and i don't know what else to say about it because we have to, we're still talking about the show, and we don't have confirmation one way or another, which isn't, which is nice. Even though, it, boy, it really just does bring into stark relief. Boy, the the one dark-skinned rock dude we see is is the really evil guy, and boy, that's uh, it's a thing you don't really think about until they draw that kind of attention to it, you know? Yeah, like we we literally did not consider it until we see him as a child, and he is a completely different color. Yeah, and that's like. Mm. I'm, I'm reminded I, I'm reminded in, in a much less troubling but also kind of like what thing of 
Uh, apparently, in the they did a, a movie adaptation of the Dead or Alive fighting game series, and there's a bit where, in the present, a character is played by a white dude, but in all his flashbacks, he's played by like a little Japanese boy. That's weird. And just That's weird. Yeah. That's and weird. It's like, yeah, and it's just like this is this is all I can think of with that. I'm like you. If you never showed me the flashback, I wouldn't think I wouldn't be thinking about this. Which honestly, like on that level, it's kind of good that they did do the flashback because I, I, it's probably good that we're thinking about it because, like, boy, that is a uh... again, like I'm, I'm, I'm really white. I, I can't delve into the into the depths of this. I, I'm not an expert in this matter, but boy, that just I don't like that. It's, it's look, we. <laughs> I... We, we are both white, we, we, we both white. stay in our lane as best we can, but also, we like, can. we can't just not say th- that this is here, and a problem, because it yeah. is, but again, like, we don't, yeah. we don't totally know what's happening, but I don't want to just dismiss just... it because, man, like, that's the, that's the easiest conclusion to come to, and it's not yeah, and good. It's... No, it really is not. But again, like, if they can just say, oh no, like, Garza just, he, he he painted himself black because he just really liked that Rolling Stones song. Like, again, not great, but at least then it's like, okay, no, this is, this is a Garza thing, not like, your soul is tainted thing. Because, again, like, in living memory, they're mm. still, yeah, it's, mm. anyway, I'm gonna kind of get, turn back to the thing, because this is, incredibly uncomfortable Um, but I just the the thing that that really nailed for me that hey Garza is the kid uh, because that's the subject we were on (laughs) um, is that Juru has that optimistic thing like through inspiration I believe inspiration can save the world and he's just like such childish you know he just he gets so specifically mad about that phrase and, yeah, he, and you see between, him react to it. You see him kind of recoil yeah. for a second, like, whoa, there's a part of myself I thought I'd killed off. Yeah. And between that reaction and there's just something in the preview for, for the next episode that sort of implies to me that Garza's betrayal and all that is an expression of him being kind of a curdled idealist, because when you really believe in something, you know, the you know, in, in your broader things, like, who's more dangerous to something than someone who used to believe in it, right? Mm. And I just like the thought that, okay, he used to be this really sweet, idealistic kid. Something happened, and he just threw all that in the garbage. But, like, it's it's turned him into the kind of awful person who's like, I will destroy society to save society, or, uh, you know, I hate whatever. Dr. Maki. Yeah, exactly. Look, I I but hate like, Doctor Aki, and I really hope I, I mean, really hope Garza's really not even kind of at that. I hope it's that, I hope something it's wild, but just I. Oh yeah. My, I my brain just gets viscerally unhappy at I'm going to to destroy everything so it can never be worse. Because I'm like, buddy, what do you think destroyed is? <laughs> Well, it, yeah, exactly. It, but it can't get worse than destroyed. Which, I mean, like, fair? <laughs> but that's not a great argument. 
but uh, you know we'll see what happens but it's just it's a thing i want to put a pin in because i like i like the idea that what makes him such a garbage person is that he just he believed so hard and felt so betrayed by whatever that that's what turned him into a into just the world's biggest toolbox that's why he's he's got this almost ideological thing where he's like yeah I am going to betray everyone. Why? Because that's how we get to a better world somehow. I don't know. Just anyway, let's let's move on cuz So, I'm keeping this in good things because I really like these interactions and I find them interesting. I I feel like the classroom but I'm confused by it, which is why I'm prefacing it with this. Um, and I, I think the classroom scene is supposed to show some growth between Juru and his classmates. But I'm very curious about these other two classmates of Juru and Kakihara because they very clearly started out as antagonists at the beginning of the show who didn't like him. And even now they're still teasing him and calling him weird, but it feels much more lighthearted. And when they do it, Juru is smiling and laughing with them. So it kind of feels more like a thing where it's friends teasing friends. But Kakihara still confronts them as though it's actually malicious and Juru needs her to stand up for him. Because when they call him like, oh, you're kind of, you're still kind of weird, aren't you? She's like, no, he's a big deal. He's super cool. And I'm like, but he was laughing. Everything seems fine. Like, are they friends? Aren't they? Because their interactions don't feel malicious and that Juru's just kind of made his way into the in-group and it's, you know friends ribbon each other but kakihara is treating it like it isn't so i'm having a hard time gauging since we've only had two other actions other interactions between juru and this group and they were not positive interactions before now but the other two like they actually go and physically engage with him they go to his desk and wake him up after class and like joke with him and instead of just like saying nasty things about him and leaving him there to get in trouble and, like, they continue to hang out there with him and Kakihara afterwards and, like, continue to have conversations. So it seemed honestly like they wanted him and Kakihara to, like, get together and were having fun hanging out with them. And it feels very friendly, except for Kakihara's initial reaction to them talking to Juru. And I'm like, what? Yeah, it is really strange. Because, I don't know, like, I, I feel like if they're not actually friends, they're they're close enough. Because, okay, sure, fine, no one wants to 180 and say, actually, Juru, you're not weird at all. So, like like you said, they're just, they're friends ribbing each other. And I guess Kakihara is just, like, I'm choosing to take it as her just being super protective of him. I guess I don't know. It's it's, it's just I don't know. Like it's weird. I will say that Kakihara has kind of won me over to her character. Um, I found oh, yeah, her very same. charming in Forty Two, even if she's still not kind of upfront about at least wanting to hang out and be friends with Juru, if not actually kind of wanting to date him. Which you know, hey, good on you, Kakihara. But still, like, just get over yourself a little and let someone see the real you. Like, you don't have to put up all the walls. Though I guess that not doing that is sort of her thing. Like, I guess she's edging up to it, and that's that's admirable. Like, I just kind of want to see Takamichi have a talk with her, since 
the exact behavior that she's exhibiting towards Jiru is what cost him the girl he liked when he was in high school. Being like, no, I don't want to date her. Like, that's that's how he lost Akiho. And, it, you know, admittingly, he would have lost her anyway, what with the whole space, but... Yeah, but at least she would have, like, not thought badly of him for, like, 30 years. Yeah. Though I, I still, I have to say, like, that's such a good episode. Yeah, it is. I really yeah, love that one. I, like, I wish we got to see more of her just throughout the show. I, I do wish she had stuck around. But she, I mean, you know, she's I, probably, she's her actress probably, has probably got more going on. Yeah. And, like, probably is also like, hey, I don't, I don't know how much I want to be spending, like, hey, what's up, dude, 20 years younger than me? Yeah. Who looks like yeah. he did in high school? That's, I, mm, I don't, I don't want to do that. It's weird. Yeah. Though I do, one thing that I really, really like is that... Kakihara's friends did not abandon her or turn on her after she decided to kind of better herself and look at herself differently and start hanging out with Juru. Um, they honestly seem really supportive of who she is now, just in a very high school kind of way. Because high schoolers are weird, they're like that. But, like, they still hang out with her and they still like her. And just the way that the three of them were portrayed as the popular kids would have made it really easy for the two of them to just want nothing to do with Kakihara once she starts hanging out with and defending the weird kid. But instead, they just accept her desire to better herself and are like, oh, well, if you think Juru's cool, maybe we'll get to know him. Like, that's that's really cool. Like, I, I love Forze, and Miyu is my favorite character in Forze, but man... The second she is like, hey, maybe Gentaro's okay, she sure does get abandoned by literally everyone, including her boyfriend, who never says sorry for cheating on her twice while she was in a coma both times. And look, that's why no one cares, Shun. But it's just... I, I also think, though, that like their, their decision to just, you know, keep being friends is, is really great. And a part of me can't help but think that since some of the kids watching are going to end up being the cool kids because, you know, I figure everyone watches Sentai, right? Probably. Seems like it'd be a very popular children's yeah, show. I mean, more or less. I mean, more or less. Like, you know, all, all the kids watch Spongebob growing up. Yeah, exactly. So it's just one of those things where uh, it's nice to see the modeling that, hey, look, even if you're cool and other people aren't, that doesn't mean you have to be a toolbox. Like, you can be cool and just let other people be themselves unmolested and you don't, you don't like, mess with them or make their lives more difficult. Because, like, look, y'all, I, like, I imagine we're probably speaking to an audience of people who are out of high school. Man, high school is rough. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's, like, everyone's hormones are doing the thing and you're in close social proximity and everyone is encouraged by by society or or well, you know, we'll just say society generally to to click up and it just it's a bad scene man so you know anything that just can can let kids know that hey you can be you, know, you can be popular and you don't have to be a jerk and that's that's great so whatever garza's overarching plan here actually is this first step was incredible uh, yeah. 
Because, I mean, even starting from Shadon, he, of all people, understands how strong the Kira Majors and his brother are. He had to have known that no matter how good Shadon is, he was gonna get beat. Especially as he continued to watch this unfold. And, like, he saw that opening of, cool, there's gonna be an opening in the Emperor's head. He saw that he could literally get under the Emperor's skin and took that opportunity. That is genius. Yeah, absolutely. The moment he dropped onto his knee and, like, hey, let me become your new mask, I was like, ah, there's a supervillain move coming up, y'all. Because, like, look, we know Garza. He, He doesn't bend anything for anyone. Even if there does turn out to be nuance and an origin to his awfulness, it's still his awfulness, and he does not bow to anyone unless it's like so he can get an angle to shove a like a stiletto up under their neck. You know, he's just he's a terrible person. And I also really love this in this sense that they have built up Garza as a threat since day one of this show. He has always been on the front lines, causing problems on purpose, and we have watched him do it from the very beginning. While up until Yodon appeared, you and me were like, eh, is Yodon really not gonna be a chump? We, I don't know how he can live up to all of the cool villains in this show. We, maybe he'll be a chump. And I feel like, honestly, Garza was kind of asking the same question in his head the whole time. <laughs> and then Yodon appeared, and unlike us, Garza decided, oh yeah, this is a chump, and I can play him as easily as everyone else if I time it right. And seriously, like, I salute that. <laughs> That's so good. We got red herring hard on Emperor Yodon. Yeah, we really did. And like, <laughs> Though, like, in fairness, they... They put some power into his presentation. Yeah, though. like, that's the thing. When he showed up, we were like, oh, Yodon is not a chump. He is a threat. So when we see Garza play him so easily and cut him down so easily and make himself the final villain that we'd been hoping from the, for from the beginning, it makes that double cross for it feel even more menacing and cool because it shows just how strong Garza really is. Because we didn't think Yodon was a chump, but he did. Yep, he he saw the truth, and it's it's so good. Because Yodon was so awesome. And a part of me keeps wondering if there will be some splashback if Garza ever lets his guard down in the Red Room. But until then, like, even if Yodon comes back... He still got played so hard by the King Slimeball. And that's amazing. Yeah, like, this was some genius writing on the part of this team. And I'm like, I can't even just give it to the writer for 42, because this has been building this whole time. Like, Arakawa got a great group of people together to make this work. Absolutely. Because this is such a great payoff to the villain buildup. And it's the kind of payoff that I've wanted pretty much since Uoger. 
and not a single Sentai since then, good or bad, has pulled it off. They have always just pulled someone in at the end who's been there more or less the whole time, but hasn't never did anything. And it's a shame, because a lot of those, hey, that general or that other person was the big bad all along, they just, they were just kind of sad, honestly. Like, you can see what they were going for, but they, they didn't nail it. Like, like, I think, oh, go on. Like, Dogranio was cool. He was a cool, like, menacing background villain. Absolutely. But having him be the final boss, like, I wanted, I wanted Zamigo to, like, be more of a presence and to pretty much do what Garza did. Yeah. It's, that... it's the thing that I wanted from every single Sentai that we've covered on this show. Yeah. I mean, I think the one of the better instances of them trying it was the Q-Ranger one. With, with like, oh, hey, Cuer Cuervo's the bad guy. Why? That's a suit, and he has a name, and we don't know anything about him. They don't go that hard for just some chump. But, like, we didn't know Cuervo, like, as a person before. Yeah, that's the thing. If he had been more of a major part of this show, he didn't even have to appear. If Sarugi had talked about him all the time. Yeah, like, if Sarugi's thing was... Man, look, I led my best friend to death, and I, I can't do that to you people. So that's why I have to be the legend. Like, that would have given him some pathos, some, some nuance, something interesting besides, like, I'm the best. Like, then Man, he would have been a really interesting cross between, like, Kyria and Taiga. Yeah, Which exactly. would have been super cool, but instead he was just there. Yeah. Oh, President Hot Wings. But it's just, so when, when you get that reveal, it's like, oh, okay, hey, I called that. And that's that's all the more reaction I have. But this one, though, like, not only does it feel so perfectly in character, just for everyone concerned. Like, it's it's not just Garza feels in character. It's, oh, Yodan is so, like, distant and full of himself, he didn't imagine that anyone could ever betray him. And Yodona is so busy, like, trying to enact Yodon's will, she doesn't even think that the demonic general of betrayal is going to demonic general of betrayal them. It's just, it, it makes you want to cheer. Because, yeah, sure, Garza is scum. He is the worst dude. But he's still the underdog supervillain in this situation. Like, he has to be clever to get this far. And, like... Even if you don't love what, you know, what he's doing, you gotta admit, he did it clever. Yeah. yeah. They, like, they played fair with that. And, like, you, maybe you thought, oh yeah, you know, he's just bowing to the greater power because he'd rather be on the winning team. And then he pulls the thing and you're like, oh, did you not notice? Garza has never been a team player. <laughs> he joins a team for him. Because there is no Ion team. But there is a me. And look, and look Garza's final Garza's form final chainsaw horror body, body is a dang good suit. Dang good suit. Like, yeah. it's not even just menacing. That thing is outright scary. He's got chainsaws glued to his shins. He's got O's claws. His, his head and torso are just made of teeth. He's a horror show. It's great. Like, it's so good 
that he happens, and even Drew has to take a moment to be like, look, I know he's trying to murder the entire planet and all, but can we take a second to just talk about how cool that dude looks? Which is a moment that, by the way, was comedy gold. Oh, absolutely. Comedy gold and also 100% relatable. Because, <laughs> Juru, I am with you on this one, dude. Weird body horror chainsaw that is also, like, kind of common Rider inspired. It's like, it's got some ultimate Kuga in there. It's got, like, the Gatak in there. It's it's just a lot of things. Uh, before the uh the before we started recording sono you had said you tell them i don't want to tell them what you said what did i say (laughs) oh my memory's so bad my memory's so bad oh that's fine i get the same but uh you you had said like either you or one of your friends had compared him like if he had like a spear sticking out of his chest he'd be another thousand oh yeah um i think one of my friends had seen that on twitter so I don't I don't know the original source of who who said that, um, but I was like that is a very accurate description of that suit. Yeah, it's just it's great. It's just it's so horrific and awful and wonderful. It's also like the the thing that gets me the most is the way that the the wolf head teeth horns thing he's got going still sort of feels like his his bizarre moon helmet. Yeah. And then he's yeah. then he's got like the one eye that's just sort of like smearing upward. It's just that is such a good touch. Um I do find it interesting that Yodona never knew about the internal like red headspace room. Like she's just asleep when she's in there. When when Yodon is out, she's just kind of in a pile in the corner. Even though she is the one arguably most loyal to Emperor Yodon's cause, while Garza, who is, as we have mentioned, the literal general of betrayal, gets a whole, like, tour and explanation and demonstration. Like, Yodon outright says, I never knew this was a thing. This is news to me. And again, it makes me kind of wonder if... Yodona was never really meant to be an active participant, and she's just someone who was taken against her will and kind of brainwashed to an extent to be used as housing for Yodon, Ultraman style, uh, since he just can't be on an unpolluted Earth for very long. Especially with how unemotive and unresponsive she started when she first appeared, and how she's then kind of grown into being a proper general after hanging out with Crunchula and Garza for a couple months? No, I, I think there's definitely something to that. Because with with that unemotive starting, a part of me wonders if it's, if it's not like she was taken against her will, and maybe it's she's the work of a non-Crunchula artisan. Like, she's not a person shoved into this collective, she's a literal mask that's been finding her personhood because like look you can't go out and have to be a person and not become a person that's just how it goes and that way she's also getting primed to break off from lord garza because like she serves only one emperor and if he's dead and i maintain that is a fairly big if yeah look if someone hasn't exploded it's very possible they're not dead in a super sentai yeah especially since like this is all psychic stuff who knows what's going on but no matter what, she's got to find something new to do, because 
Something tells me she's not really jazzed to be working for Lord Garza. Basically, I just, I want her to get an option to go forth and sin no more by just like, hey, what's up? I'm the only, I'm in the, I'm in the throne now. The rest of you can just sit over there. I'm just going to go out and learn how to be a people. The one thing I'm very like, curious about is if she's even still in there. Because with Yodan, he had the two masks. But Garza doesn't have a mask. Big Garza doesn't have a mask. There's not a, se- there's not a series. I'm wondering if maybe he just kicked her out. I don't know. Yeah, it's just it's, a thing that I thought of just now. Is hmm, Garza does not have masks hanging off the side of his face. Yeah, that's that's a very in, important point. I I definitely look forward to seeing where they go with it. <laughs> and you know, having that conversation in the red in the red room shift immediately to Shiguru teasing Tametomo about his crush on Yodona also makes me wonder if she's going to be set free and redeemed somehow. Because it's not a constant thing, but they do bring it up every couple of episodes. But, and I'm glad they do, because I, 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 much as I don't want Tomotomo and Yodona to end up as a, like, a romantic thing, because, like, no, I'm, mm, it's, like, first off, it's a thing that I, too, would raz a friend about, while, like, nodding my head in commiseration, because, like, look, of course you were you had a crush on her. Have you seen her? <laughs> like, even when she was just like super intense Miko, I was like, Yeah, okay, I'm in love. And like, you know, okay, sure, she turned out to be the the evil Crover Lord, but uh, still. <laughs> but more importantly, it keeps alive the idea that if she doesn't know that she's a person yet, everyone else defaults to understanding that she is a person which will make however she goes in the end work that much better. Because I very much support the idea of, again, of her just taking the throne in the Red Room and holding it, whether or not Garza is still in there or not, and just, if the masks re-manifest, I don't know, because you do bring up, he doesn't have those anymore, I don't know. It's just, I kind of but, just want Tame Tomo to, to, to be her guide into be being guide a person. And just, like, hang yeah. out with her as a friend and just be like, hey, let's go places. I will show you things. This doesn't have to be a romantic thing. I just want to help you out. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be beautiful. I'd really like that a lot. And I do think it's great that Takamichi, speaking of, hey, this doesn't have to be a romantic thing, I like Takamichi still out here supporting Akiho as her friend. Even if he does obviously still have feelings for her, he's just like, no, I'm going to go out here and support her. Like, he accepts that they cannot be a thing because of everything that has happened. But he still cares about her as a person and wants to show his support for, you know, her cool career. And, like, look, all the same, like, first off, it is great that he's just trying to support her in her career because, I know, it's a good thing to do. But also, like... Even if he did carry a torch for her just a little, like, who could blame him? Again, I, I kind of wish he had a bigger role in the show. Yeah. Like, he's a, like, he's a dude who started out with some bad ideas in his head, but he's grown as a person. He has grown past those bad ideas and become a really good dude, and I'm proud of him. Yeah, that's... he's a good dude. 
which again like who saw that coming um, so this is a this is kind of a little thing, but I like that when we see Juru recreating Child Garza's drawing, they don't just hand him the same sketchbook and have him like pretending to draw on the same drawing that someone has done as a prop. I don't know if maybe they shot that scene earlier and gave him like a three-fourths finished version, because it does look more unfinished than the one Child Garza did. Um, but I like that it's very visibly a different drawing than we saw earlier in the show, so it, it feels like Juru did this one, and we're not just seeing the exact same image, because he would not be able to recreate that image perfectly. No, because it's, it's always put through the lens of himself, and that's... Or even, like, that's just... even, like, even Garza on a different day wouldn't be able to do the exact same drawing. It just... Making well, art doesn't not. work that way. And it's just... It's really nice. I, That sort of attention to detail. It just... It, it adds a lot. And also, again, just... I still love the fake-out they pull up on us with that. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm still just... It's just a real good fake-out, Sheeta. Especially with, like... He's still... Juru's still like, okay, you know, yeah... Uh, now you're going to use your ultimate technique, Mecha Oroden. That's amazing. And it's just the same halberd thing he's been doing this whole time. <laughs> and then Garza just uses the move, and it's it's some straight-up... Like, it's a hero move. It really is. And it just it made me happy to see. And, oh man, humans transforming into Muddites and having them kind of zombie wander with the, the makeup that kind of mimics the Muddite masks was horrifying. Yes. The children are going to have Boy. nightmares forever. Yes, yes they are, and understandably so. Because, like, I mean, it's the the way they they mirrored or, or sort of, like, evoked the, the Muddite masks without actually turning their faces into the mask, just sort of, like, implying that, oh no, over time, in this smog, your face will become the mask. Like, that is some low-level body horror because they don't have to delve into it but it's there and when you stop and think about it like your own face becoming a mask like that's a nightmare yeah yeah more than that's, a little that's bit like, yeah that's a really awful thought which like hey i you know i shouldn't support giving kids nightmares but, like, at the same time, like, that's a... It's not like I haven't got nightmares from watching things as a kid myself, so... I'm not saying it should happen because it happened to me. I'm just like, boy, it's not even that sometimes it's good, is it? It's just... All I can say is it's it's a very effectively creepy thing. That's all I'm going to say, because, like, as, a, as stuff was coming out of my mouth, it's like, boy, it sure sounds like I'm supporting giving kids nightmares, and that's not fun. That's not nice. <laughs> That's not the dude I want to be. <laughs> um, and hey, just sort of like in in a nearby scene, um, I also really love Crunchula. He's got the, he's got that bomb that he's going to throw at the Emperor eventually. And in the meanwhile, he's just doing an Adam West Batman thing from the the Batman sixty six movie about how hey, look, some days you just can't get rid of a bomb. And yeah, sure, I know it's the opposite of that. 
but it had the same energy because he's just running around with this big old cartoon bomb with a with a skull on it, and it's it's amazing. Yeah, and I mean, look, he definitely is having some anxiety about having to cart it around and getting found with it, and just wanting the plan to be over with. Yeah, and then getting into that nice Looney Tunes chase with uh, Takamichi. Yeah. Like, and look, it's it's hard not to blame him for being anxious. Besides, you know, the fact that it is a bomb. Like, you don't get a second chance for a quick death with Emperor Yodon. Yeah, look, Something you're t- gonna swing, don't you're miss. Swing, don't miss. Yeah, exactly. Cause um, if that hadn't got rid of Emperor Yodon and Yodon found him, it's like, oh no, you don't die. I'm not going to kill you. I already killed you, so I can't do that twice. Uh. You're going to spend the next thousand years in just, I don't know, dirt hell. I don't know what kind of extra bad tortures they've got, but I imagine it would be something like extra extra mud hell. It was really sweet seeing each of the Kirame stones, like, hyping up how cool their partners are. There have been yeah. a lot of times where it felt like they passed up the opportunity for that moment, and it was nice to see that they saved it to signal that we've hit the home stretch. They're like, this is the part where we're going to tell you how cool everyone is right before the big final fight. And then we get that cool full group transformation shot, and that was just a great way to nail it home. Seriously. Like, I was really upset at the thought that this might be the final transformation, that somehow this was like the final episode or next to the final episode, because, I mean, again, it's, it's pretty late in the thing, and there's not many episodes left, and they also did the first part of that without helmets. It wasn't a no-helmet roll call, so I'm pretty sure... Like, I was like, that was why I didn't freak out entirely, because I feel like Arakawa knows that you saved the no-helmet roll call for the final episode. Oh, yeah, because he pioneered yeah, that. He pioneered that. Yeah, he's... Yeah, and every time, it like, it, it made me think that that's how Sentai should always be, and I get mad every time it doesn't happen, even though that's not fair. That's not fair. But also, I want it every time, because, um... Yo, have y'all seen the last episode of Gokaiger? Y'all seen the last episode of Bokenger? Yeah, it's... Mm, that stuff's real good. Anyway, I just... The the big thing here is that I, I'm just not ready to say goodbye to these kids yet. They're good yeah. kids. Um, so one last thing. Because I know I keep bringing this up every time it happens, but it's very important to me, so I need to bring it up every time it happens. I need to manifest this into the world as something that keeps happening. I like that Tametomo was the one who got to use the go arrow in the fight with Garza, and that he was only buffing himself and Sayo, and that Juru was just not involved in the go arrow at all in that fight. Not even a little. It was beautiful. Like, I love Juru. I, I love Juru a lot. I Earlier in this episode, it's like, he's done the thing that makes him red. He's one of the best reds we've had in years. Honestly, yeah. But it's nice to see Kira Major let the power-up be used not only by others, but by the guy who's best at shooting to buff him and the other person whose main thing is shooting. Like, it's not just... You, you wouldn't think that would be such a such a rarity. Yeah. Because, I mean, it's, it's a projectile. If it was something else, like, if it was, like, a better sword, you know, Shiguru would get it more often, but it's... It's an arrow. It's a it's a projectile. It's a shooting device. 
of course you're gonna let the dude whose whole thing is being a good shot use it. And it's just, it's cool that it's not just a thing that only the red gets to use and maybe sometimes spread the power up to others. Maybe everyone gets a turn once. Like, honestly, comparatively, Juru barely uses the thing. Yeah, I mean, it It feels more like it's Tomatomo's thing, which, you know, good. And it just makes me think of how happy I am that Tame's become kind of a breakout character. Or at least one who I was not anticipating being so fond of. Because, like, I I was not anticipating him being this just completely cool. Yeah, I I really expected him to be the butt of the joke, kind of in that way that the blue in Tokyuja was. Or, um, the, the blue in, uh, Kyoryuja. Sorry, I just kept thinking Ryu Soldier, because that's such a better show. Yeah, well, that's, yeah, that's understandable. But, like, I expected him to kind of be the butt of the joke in that way that Nasen and Tokadi were. Because it kind of started that way. And then, you know, he got to show off and got to really show how cool he was. He wasn't just the butt of the joke. He got to be, you know, he was sometimes the butt of the joke, but all of the boys were sometimes the butt of the joke. Yeah. He, like, he got it really as much as Shigeru did. Or Takamichi. Juru doesn't because he's the red, but, you know. But I can kind of let it slide with Juru because Juru's a kid. Yeah. Where the other three are all kind of on the older end of the team. So, like, having the other three dudes kind of share being the butt of the joke, that feels more balanced. It's kind of nice. You get to really you get to goof is. on all of them, but they all get to be cool. And I just really didn't expect Takamichi to be such a dynamic, fun character. No, he really is. And well, like you said, I just I anticipated him just kind of being being that guy. Man, he wasn't. It's great. Man, this is just this is being a this has turned into a really good Sentai. Yeah, it has. I wasn't I wasn't sure at first. I'll admit, like. You know, it was always, it was never bad. It was just like, I wasn't sure how good it was going to get. And it's just, it's been real good. Yeah, it, it started as one where I'm like, this is fun. This is going to be a fun year. But now I'm like, hmm, this, I, like, I, I kind of wanted to say it was like a contender of late Heisei. And then I'm like, oh, we're in Reiwa. That's right. Um, yeah. So, but it may Look, hey, this hold is... the line of the first era of Reiwa shows. I mean, look, um, it, if nothing else, it is certainly the second, second place Reiwa, because, uh, you know, Ryu Soldier was real good, though. Yeah, oh, well, I mean, look, there's only two, but Ryu Soldier is the best one right now. But, I mean, like, it's not for Kira Major's lack of trying. No, like, it's going for it, and that's what I'm about. Like, I, I don't even ask that every series actually land it i just ex- i just need them to go for it i need to feel like they went for it with everything they had and i mean again that's that's one of the things that held back uh juoger because like i didn't i just didn't feel it i didn't i just yeah i i can't remember if I, I can't this remember if I said this after we had started recording or before it juoger feels like a lot of good pieces from like five different puzzles yeah and that's that's true 
Anyway, um, do we have any other final thoughts? Because otherwise we're just going to spin out into talking about how good some Sentai has been. When, like, uh, you know, I, I sort of take it as a given that, uh, dear listener, you are aware. Um, no, so, uh, any- I think that's it think for that's these it. two. It's it's hard to believe that we're in the end game of this show already. It feels like it just started. But also 2020 was a fake year. So That's true. Like, time is fake. Pandemic time is, like, 30 different kinds of fake. But, uh, well, uh, for all of us here at Laser Knees and the rest of the TOOL network, I'm Aleph. And I'm Sana. And Shine On crazy diamonds.